If you will, open up your Bibles to John's Gospel, the 13th chapter. Uh, we're in a series called A New Way for a New Day. And so uh, when I was praying, uh, what should I teach? What should I do? This section of Scripture came up, and so I just kept reading them and reading them. And I'd never heard anybody talk about this before, that you know this teaching from John 13 the 13th chapter through the 16th chapter, I'd never in all my years heard anybody talk about it, that these were a section of scriptures of transition. In other words, Jesus was transitioning the people for a new day. He was getting them ready so that they could live and do certain things a certain way once he was gone. And uh, he wanted them to be effective. So these are transition things. So here in John 13 is where he starts the whole thing off. In verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so he knows, I'm about to suffer for humanity. I'm going to be gone. See, the disciples thought he's going to set up his kingdom. And he's like, I'm not setting up my kingdom. I'm leaving. And they still didn't get that altogether after he died and rose again. But these chapters now are transitioning these people for a new day. And what's interesting is the great detail of all the various things he got across to him in these chapters. A lot of the beginning parts were motives that they operated by. Later on, it went beyond that. And so this is a thought we need to get right here. From the 13th chapter on, there is no expiration date that Jesus ever set for any of these things that he taught in the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th chapter, the only expiration date he gave was his second coming. In other words, people won't be able to get saved once he's come back. It's done. You know what I mean by that? Uh, there are certain things that we just won't have to do in that day after he comes that we have to do during this time. And so he is positioning the church and basically saying, from now on, this is how you're going to need to live life in my absence. That is huge. And we need to know there's no expiration date because sometimes people have put one on here or changed it. You know, you ever got something that was beyond the expiration date? Nobody has. Okay. Well, when you go to the store, they're actually on a lot of those things. There's something called an expiration date. You know, I remember when I was little, they would have this little thing, you know, that said day old bread. And I'd be, let's, let's buy it. We keep it for more than a day. I didn't understand that meant it's past the date. And I'm like, we'll keep it around sometimes for a week. Let's just buy that. Well, I didn't realize there was an expiration date or a date you shouldn't use it past, you know. And 
we would have had like penicillin, peanut butter, and jelly. If you don't understand, it grows in mold. And um, maybe wouldn't have been the best sandwich ever, but I wasn't thinking, okay, an expiration date. But many times, people through the years have added an expiration date to many of these things, or some of these, or just a few, or one of them. The ones that fit them, they don't put an expiration date on. Those are still good. You with me? Oh, miracles? That ended. When? And who said? Jesus said in that day, meaning the day from the time he rose from the dead till he returns. And so when he goes on through these teachings, he'll use the term being raised up. And in that day, telling that these are things that we as believers are to function in today. They are what will make up or should make up our life and how we exist and how we do things. So John 14, this is where we left off last week, and we're going to pick up in the 12th verse. John 14, 12, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes, now he said it to them, but he said, he who believes. So he didn't just say, if you believe, he's basically saying, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. So you got to believe in him, but you got to believe in the works he did. He said, believe in me and the works that I do. Notice he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Notice there's that phrase, go to my Father. But the interesting part, he said, the works that I do, he, and you could say he who believes, because that's who he's addressing, he who believes, he will do them also. Then he put and. So how many of you know we can read all the works he did, you know, for the most part, meaning we know there were a ton more that he did, but the style and type of works he did were written. We know at the end of this book, he said, if all the miracles that were written could be told or were told or put into books, he said, not even all the books in the world would contain them. So when we see the miracles we see, there were millions more. Because if the books of the world at that time couldn't contain them, there were a lot. I mean, it was a constant thing. And so you understand, it'd be a lot harder to carry a Bible like that. You know, I mean, it'd be like, you going to church today? Yeah. What are you bringing with you? What's that? Oh, that's my Bible. Some big, huge, massive something. You with me? So they're limited, but they're put there on purpose by God. And it said, the works I do, you will do, and greater works than these will you do, because I go to my Father. And then it goes on to say, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Whatever you ask in my name. So the key to these verses is hinged upon his name. Let me say that again. It's hinged upon his name. And he goes on to say, that will I do. Notice the use of the name and Jesus getting involved. Here's an interesting thought. How many people have said, well, you know, miracles 
uh, all, all stopped, you know, years ago. And we know that's not true. Right? I mean, why pray if you don't believe in miracles? Because what is a miracle? It's a divine intervention in the natural course of life. Well, then why pray? You're asking God to do something. Would you agree? But he said here, in my name. In my name. In my name. Then he said, I will do it. He backs up or gets involved when it has to do with his name. And so this is super important. Because I think the church as a whole has maybe not majored where it should major with the name. And Jesus, before he left, said the name is going to be the key to miracles. And notice this. Jesus left, didn't he? He said, I'm going to my father. But he said, I want to still be involved when I leave. And here is how I will get involved he said, when you use my name, I will do it. I'll personally get involved. You with me? I will do it. Who will do it? Jesus. Who will believe it? Me. Who will say the name? Me or you, right? And then who does it? He does. So, Jesus never stopped doing miracles. He just left, and he still gets involved. And this is how he gets involved, with the use of that name. And then it goes on, and he said, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. How many people have said, Lord, do this miracle in their life just to prove to them? No. In the name of Jesus, I command this. We're not commanding it of God. Jesus will do it, and then God will get glorified. And then it goes on to say, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, the word ask in the Greek literally means to call for or require. Those are two of the meanings. So it doesn't just mean ask him. It means call for it or require it in the name. So when you pray, or this is actually, these ones are not on prayer. He'll get into prayer in the name later. Here he's talking about commanding circumstances, requiring things like demons. Stop in Jesus' name. I resist you in Jesus' name. You know, whatever that is, that's requiring it in the name. You're not requiring that of God. You're just invoking a name that is so powerful that things are subject to it. But do you believe? You know what I find so interesting is how disrespected not Judaism is per se or Buddhism, you know, and how things are with them, how disrespected the name of Jesus is. People who don't go to church, who maybe never have been to church, when they go to cuss, what name do they belittle? 
I haven't ever heard anybody, you know, that's never been in church, hit their thumb with a hammer and go, Buddha. <laughs> Why? Because this name needs to be belittled in the eyes of people because of its great value. And then it becomes, you know, you know, people say, Jesus Christ, oh, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, this, and they belittle the name, they have no respect in the name, and it's just kind of spread like this name is nothing. When people don't realize that a real belief in the name and a real respect for the name and a real trust in the name will make the Lord act in line with the name. And so it just gets belittled. Where other things don't, it does. I mean, you can go ask people. Maybe maybe we should do a survey. Next time you hear somebody say his name, say, do you go to church? No. All right. Just I'm doing a little survey. <laughs> Have you ever been to church? Well, no, no. Well, how'd you learn about that? And it's in a super disrespectful way. There's no regard for the value of this name. Whether I value it or not is indifferent. Its value is great. But if I value it and respect it and realize its value, then it becomes great for me. You with me? When I didn't serve God, I'm sure I used the name in a bad way. But then the day I called on him in faith, the name worked, and he backed it up, and he saved me and changed me. You with me? And so when he's talking about, you know, this name, we talked about the two greater works last week that are associated with him and his name. One, and it's greater, it's a work that Jesus himself never did. You with me? And what is that work that Jesus himself never did on the earth that we can do and should do? It's reach the lost and get them saved. Right? We went over that. Nobody got saved while Jesus was on the earth. Why? You have to believe he died and rose again. He hadn't died. He hadn't risen yet. And then you have to call on his name. Well, you couldn't do that till after. And so one of the greater works is getting saved. And that's one of the greater works that we as a group of believers and every believer in the world is to be doing, sharing the gospel, bringing people in where they can hear the gospel so they can get saved or born again. Then we talked about one of the other greater works being get filled with the Spirit. Now, Jesus was so big on this, after he had died and rose again, he told his disciples, don't you leave until, you know, you stay here, don't even go out and preach, even though they were totally trained and ready, until you're filled with the Spirit. Now, we can see the emphasis, and we talked about this last week, how they emphasized getting saved and being filled, right? Even Paul, when he found disciples, he said, they're disciples, he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? In other words, have you been filled? So those are the greater works, but let's look at some understanding about the works he did. Now understand this, the works he did did not just have to do with healing, did not just have to do with prayer, with no answer or anything. The works he did 
he worked with the elements of the earth, whether it was weather. But you can't belittle this and think it's going to work. Oh, you're telling me we can do something about the weather? Why not? Now, I'm not saying you're going to totally change this into the North Pole down here and there. Oh, awesome. No, but you understand people even in the Old Testament influenced the weather by prayer. Right? We read about the accounts where they prayed for rain and it rained or prayed that it wouldn't rain and it did not rain. But the key was praying in faith. And, and do I think there are things that we can pray for? Jesus dealt with storms, and when the disciples woke him up to do it, Jesus said, why didn't you? Right? How many times did Jesus say, how long will I suffer you? How long am I going to be with you? Bring him to me. In other words, you got to get this down because when I leave, you got to start moving in these areas. And here is where he's teaching about this, this little transition teaching about using his name to do the works he did. In other words, do we have rights to resist the enemy? Do we have rights? You know, I've told people this before, you know, about their neighborhood. I remember this one guy said, oh, I think I'm going to move because my neighbors are just, it's bad. I said, why do you have to move? Do you like the neighborhood? Oh, I love the neighborhood. I love this. I said, well, then either pray for them to get saved or just start praying for them to get out. And he didn't. And within a couple of months, the neighbors moved. Well, why do I have to move? Now, we should reach them and just go, oh, I just want only Christians in my neighborhood. Then win them to the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? But there are some people, well, if you're not going to change, we'll change this. Oh, amen. How powerful is this name? I don't care what you think about the keys to my car, how powerful or how useful they are. They work if they're properly applied. Same thing goes with your keys. And this is a key. And so here he said, and whatever you ask, and remember the Greek word here is call for or require, in verse 13, in my name that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatever you ask or call for or require in my name, I will do it. I will do it. To me, that's pretty interesting. Was Jesus telling the truth? But remember, he said, you need to believe this name. How are we going to get a belief in this name? We're going to have to find out what the word says. Now, this may not be popular, but I'll tell you what, the end results will be great. Because why deal with things and never get victory when there's victory available in his name? You with me? I mean, if you just know the Bible. Now, remember, this is a transition teaching here. He's telling them, I'm authorizing you to use my name. The only place after 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that really talks about the daily activities or gives a narrative of the church is the book of Acts. That's really the only narrative we have. The others are letters of how to conduct yourself and different things like this. And there's a little bit told in, in the book of Revelation where he said these people are doing this and that. But there's like a story through it. And if you go and look in the book of Acts, just not right now, and think about the name, you'll find that they majored on the use of the name. These are things they did. It regularly said they preached or they taught in his name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They taught and reinforced the value of the name of Jesus. Then they did this. It said that they often did miracles in the name. I wonder if they realized, hey, it seems to be when we're invoking the name of Jesus and we're talking about the name of Jesus and requiring things in the name of Jesus, like saying, if you call on the name of Jesus, you'll be saved, that the Lord's getting involved in that. And it's interesting, after a while, just a few chapters in, enemies of the church, enemies of the cross of Christ said, in what name did you do this miracle? Then you find that he, these enemies of the cross told them more than once, they forbade them. And they said, from now on, don't tell or preach or talk to anyone in this name. Well, I wonder who that was motivated by. If the Lord Jesus said, you go do these things in my name, even you know, right before he left, it said they gathered in his name. And then, after they had been whipped and beaten, you know what they said? They left and they had a praise service. And it said they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I said, oh, we, we got beat up. We were thrown in jail for the name of Jesus. Glory, thank you, God. They recognize such a value in the name and its working ability and the connection that through faith in that name that Jesus himself would get involved and now mankind is pushing back and saying, don't use that name, throwing people in prison. They left and went, give us boldness to speak in your name. And they said, thank you, we were counted worthy to suffer for your name. We got thrown in prison. We got whipped. We got beaten. Thank you that we were counted worthy to suffer for your name. How many people are Christians? They don't want to suffer for nothing. And these guys put such great value on this name. They're like, you counted us worthy of this? I mean, sometimes people today, you know, get made fun of for preaching or sharing Jesus, and those Christians will fall apart. You know, I mean, they're like a cheap model from Hobby Lobby, you know? And they're like, oh, look at this, and the thing just falls apart right there. And you're like, what'd you pay for that, $1.98? 
plus the always 40% off coupon. It's interesting. They were, they rejoiced. I mean, think about it. They gathered up. They came together and said, what song are we singing today? Praise and worship team. Oh, this is the one we're singing. Thank you, Lord. We were counted worthy to suffer for your name's sake. Oh, no, not that one again. <laughs> Paul the apostle was... When the Lord appeared to him, he said, I've made you and I'm calling you to be a chosen vessel. What for? He said, to bear my name among the Gentiles. You see how they use the name? They, I mean, he went to bear his name. How many people want to bear a certain message? And he said what he was bearing was the name of Jesus to the Gentiles. Then we find that they drove out demons in that name. What's interesting is there's another place in the book of Acts where it said they respected and they magnified the name. There's another place where it said they sang praise to his name. Not just because they suffered, but they just sang praise to his name. Now, there are multiple, multiple references, but in Acts 15, 26, it said that these men that came when they had gathered at the council of the church, it said they had risked their own lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't just say, oh, they were out there preaching a good message and people were feeling really good about it. No, they said, look, these guys have risked their life not for just a message, but for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if these people knew something about this name that Jesus said would perform miracles. So the key is, obviously, knowing and believing it. Notice this. Turn to Philippians, the second chapter. Philippians, the second chapter. This is written in the New Testament, but it has some of the phraseology that we just read, like the Father will be glorified in the Son, and then it gives detail about the exalted position of Jesus and His name. And remember, He said, I am going to the Father. And the Bible tells us when He was exalted, He was given the name above every name. In other words, there's something of tremendous value to be respected and regarded and known and believed in concerning the name of Jesus. And so right here in Philippians, the second chapter, some of the same terminology that was used in John 14 is right here. In other words, where he said, I go to my father. Well, we know that's in heaven. That's at the right hand of the father. And then the same terminology of the use of the name. And then that the Father might be glorified in the Son. We shouldn't be worried about trying to please people and think, well, I sure hope they like this. I sure hope they like this. Man, oh my. 
you know, we shouldn't just be nuts for the sake of being nuts, but, you know, like, oh, my goodness, I hope when I bring my friend, so-and-so doesn't start acting like this over there, you know, Mike's twirling the drumsticks again. Ah, oh, you know, this is not what we need. Oh, my goodness. And you warn your friends when they come in. Now, listen, I'm telling you, now there's this person over here, they do this, and sometimes there's this other one who they, I don't know what, I don't know why they just cry all the time. But don't worry about that. Don't pay attention. The drummer, he's going to act like this. But, you know, and people are trying to make all kinds of excuses. How many people are going to football games doing that? Now, listen, you're going to see this guy, and he's got these cans, and they're connected to his helmet, and they have these little lines that go into his mouth. And I'm telling you, there's this group of people normally over where we are. They don't even wear shirts, and they all painted the color of the team. So just, just know, and, and for no apparent reason, I don't know why they do it, they just all stand up around you, and then you're like, come on. And the, but just stand up. And how many of you have ever been to a football game and warned people like that? Nobody. And all you're doing is watching a bunch of grown men run around with tights on. Right? And they get paid millions of dollars, and you're totally excited and paid a bunch of money to go to the game, and you don't even warn the people, you know, about all this stuff. Hey, and, and you know, I know maybe we won't go back because there's sometimes fist fights, and people are throwing cups of beer and throwing sodas and popcorn and everything. Oh, no, but no, people just, oh, are you serious? I was so excited. I'm getting season tickets next year for this. <laughs> then somebody starts crying at church, and this is a little out of hand here. Better warn everybody how people might just act. How hypocritical is that? Serious. You know, I mean, you take your friend to the game, they go a couple times with you, and all of a sudden the next time you go to show up, you know, you're like, oh, here we go again. You're not warning them, and they come with a jersey on. You're like, whoa, you don't question that. Why don't you just, they just go and experience the whole thing, and it starts doing something for them. I'm telling you, people could come experience God. It'll start doing something, you know, maybe two weeks later, all of a sudden they're going to show up, oh, with the Bible, their own Bible. Quite amazing. You with me? People need to realize there's value in this stuff. There's real life in this. And we don't have to defend it. You with me? Philippians, the second chapter Verse 9, therefore God also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him, Jesus, the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow of those in heaven, those in earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue now, this is the tongue of the bowed ones, should confess or declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's go back and read that again. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, but we know we are exalted in him. And given him the name, and we know we're given the name to use which is above every name. Because Jesus isn't down here using the name. The only ones who get to use the name are us. 
And then verse 10 says that at the name or the declaring of the name or the requiring of the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Now, those are terms we wouldn't use maybe today. We would say everything must submit to the name of Jesus. Back in those days when, you know, somebody of superior, you know, strength, like a king, you come, and, you know, we watch all the old movies, right, or have at least once, and they're like, bow down in their presence, you know, or you get your head cut off, or some nicer version for church. But they would bow, and so he's using that same term of submission to the name. And then he goes on to say, because it is that it is above every name, he said that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow or everything would submit of those in heaven, or you could say in the seen and unseen realm above. And then he said, and of those things on earth, seen and unseen, and those things under the earth, seen and unseen. Because we know it wasn't everything seen that bowed, in other words, which you visually appeared, Demons never visually appeared that we know of, not that they can't. But we see that they were unseen beings that had to submit to this name. And then it goes on to say, and that every tongue, what tongue? Every tongue that this name has been proclaimed over must bow in submission, and then declare it no longer is the one that can rule, but Jesus rules. Isn't it interesting? Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, Jesus wants to rule your life. He didn't want a bunch of junk ruling your life. You with me? It's the kingdom of love. It's the kingdom of peace. It's the kingdom of freedom. And he said that they would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, we know that these things are in the Scripture about his name. And the early church was really fixed in the name. And what's happened is, is we haven't majored on getting fixed in the name. So we've tried all different kinds of things. And then we run from one thing to another, to another, to another, to another. And they don't work. And then eventually you come full circle and we try it again. You know, we try fasting. We try praying a lot. We try praying hard. You know how many times it says pray hard? None. But we are told... Because what does praying hard do? <sighs> I got tired. That was hard. But it didn't say, it doesn't tell us that's how you get results. But this tells you how to get results. If you want the name to work for you, you have to believe it. Here is a key to driving out doubt and getting this truth in your heart. You have to meditate on the name. You have to deeply ponder the name. It will make the name get in your heart. You know, how many people meditate on problems or meditate on certain things 
And they're like, I can't believe so-and-so did that. I can't believe so-and-so did that. I can't believe they did that again. They did it again. And then they're just meditating. They're deeply pondering. Ah, my little child, I can't believe they did this. And then they realize, you know, after doing that for an hour, oh, I can't treat them like that. I've got to be nice to them when they are dropped off and they come back home or I pick them up. And then they can't get in the car and then you're like, I can't believe you did that. And you had already determined, I'm not going to act like that. You know why you did? You meditated on it till it just started filling you. But why not meditate on the name and go, man, the name is so high and so exalted. And why don't you ponder the fact that demons are afraid of that name? Not, not you, that name. Why don't you ponder that Jesus himself Meditate on it. Think about it. He will personally get involved from heaven when I invoke his name over situations. You ever pondered that deeply? And not for a week or a day, but just make that a life process. And it'll start driving out doubts in the heart and replacing them with confidence and then you won't even care what you see. You'll just say, in the name of Jesus, I resist you, devil. And you won't be acting in fear. You'll be acting in faith. And Jesus will get involved, and he'll start backing you. You with me? Will we do it? Because I, I don't know about you. Jesus wants us to look like the book of Acts in some degrees. Now, not maybe necessarily the order the church was, because it was just getting established. And there's stuff written further, but their activities with the name of Jesus, their activities of reaching people, their effectiveness in prayer. If we are not effective in prayer, we should not make excuses and say, the Lord didn't want this. Whenever the disciples weren't getting answers, the kind that were written in the Bible, you know, or that they saw in Jesus' life, they didn't say, well, the Lord didn't want this. They would go talk to him and said, how come we couldn't do this? He didn't say, how come God wouldn't? How come we're not getting what we should be getting? They totally expected it. And he said, well, in this situation, it's your unbelief. Another time when Jesus went to people, he said he couldn't do mighty works there. And he said he marveled at their unbelief. So I'm saying the cure to unbelief is the way you begin to ponder. You ponder it enough, and instead of picturing the world going bad for you, I'm going to lose my job, 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 I'm never going to get a raise, I'm never going to move forward, I'm not, oh my goodness, you know, these germs are jumping off of everything nowadays. You know, nobody ever thought of grabbing a door handle years ago and thinking germs were going to jump on their arm and climb up them, and now people are got like, you know, hand sanitizer everywhere. Before you get your change, you know, at the register, you little hand sanitizer. Once you get it, you hand sanitize again. Before you get your cart, you hand sanitize. Before you shake your kid's hands or give them a hug, you hand sanitize. And they're like, you know, because people are hand sanitizing everything. You know why they are? They're totally germ conscious. They're not Jesus conscious. They don't believe in the superior ability of the power of God in them and the name of Jesus.
so they're afraid. Because we've taken Jesus away, cursed the name in society, and then all we do is teach on the ability and power of germs. Power and ability of germs. We have. We'll tell every one of you when you get old, you're going to be jacked up. But we can fix you with this medicine, but it'll give you seizures, twitches, you know, this will happen, your fingers will fall off, and all this stuff. And they totally get people expecting what Jesus did not want them to expect, and that's what they meditate on. Because they believe in a godless situation, and God doesn't want us, you know, boy, oh boy. But you know, people, don't get mad if you did this. You know those challenges, and they dump water on their head, and they do all this stuff, and we're just drawing awareness to all these germs and diseases and stuff like that. Jesus never did that. Let's do this ice challenge and get everybody to pour this water on their head so we can become more conscious of disease and germs. That's exactly what Jesus did in his ministry. Come and become conscious of the power of disease and germs. Come and follow me and know all the power of germs and disease, how strong they are, how they'll get control over your life. And let's just get real conscious of all this stuff. That's what he taught, right? No, he taught them to be masters. But if all I'm feeding on is being inferior, then I'm going to think like, well, the flu season's coming. You know, I'll be the first one in my neighborhood to get it because I'm always the first one. You know why you say that? That's what you ponder and you think. Well, praise the Lord, so that I might come back next week, we'll close. The only way to solve it is meditate on the right thing. And meditating is muttering. You ever see people worry about problems? and It just saps the life out of them. They get depressed and down. You know, those are symptoms of believing something bad. When all the life is sapped out of you and you're discouraged and you're down and blue, those are just the symptoms of you've been meditating and now are believing the wrong thing. Just on the other hand, if you meditate on the right thing and both of them are not seen, you start meditating on the right thing, the symptoms of that are peace, joy, no anxiety, but they both come from the same channel. I mean, I'm not trying to act like I know everything, but I'm thinking if you chew on a sour candy, your mouth and your taste buds are going to be sour. Would you agree? Okay, I'm just, I'm, I'm not trying to act like I know it. Be a, he's a know-it-all, he's a know-it-all. But if you take and then put like chocolate in your mouth and chew on it and everything, I'm thinking your taste buds are going to have a sweet taste in it. So why is it that we think if we want to think on anything we want to, it has no effect like a sweet candy or a sour candy? Oh, there's a lot you could say. 